0: hello everybody and uh, welcome to the 177th edition of the frank and stan chat and for those of you watching on the video you'll see that we've got a guest but actually the get the appearance or the the people appear on the screen in order of when they came to the to the actual setting or the, the actual event so stan was the last one in this morning so he's at the bottom that's correct isn't it stan
1: not on my screen <laughs> <laughs>
0: on the one that's going out on youtube it'll be uh anyway uh, Uh, yeah we're looking up. uh but actually i have to say we had a a guest uh uh, returning uh, professor jackie carter who um unfortunately couldn't make it today and i have to say i'm really pleased that sam gibbs has been able to join us because sam and i met last week and there was you know, sort of meet people and you just felt as though there was a little bit of a connection there in terms of you know, educational philosophy. And then, Sam, you wrote something last week, which really sort of hit a chord for me. But before we get into that, can you just explain who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah, hi. Thanks, uh, Frank and uh, Stan as well. Good morning. Um, yeah, so I'm Sam Gibbs. I uh, currently work for the Greater Manchester Education Trust. Um, we've got four secondary schools, um, obviously in Greater Manchester, um, and I lead on curriculum and teacher development across those uh, schools. But my background's in English teaching, so it's 12 years at the Chalk Face, kind of full time. Um, and i spent a bit of time working in uh, teacher education as well. So I spent three years at Ambition Institute and um, been involved in some of their school improvement and CPD. Programs as well. Um, I've written some stuff on uh, English curriculum. Um, I've got a big interest in. There's, there's a book. That a on book. That. There's a book. <laughs> not <laughs> whether we're plugging it because it's
0: not out this week or anything, but it was co written with somebody, wasn't it?
2: Yes, yeah, so I've got a, a book that came out a couple of years ago on an English curriculum, um, still available. <laughs> <Good book stuff>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've got a book um, that's kind of in. A production at the moment about about coaching but about um how schools might think about training coaches um in all the kind of confines of the system that we we work in, most of our coaches and UK schools are busy teachers as well. So how can we kind of prepare them for the role? And um, there's lots of kind of looking at case studies of schools that are doing that really well, and just to share some of that really good work and that good thinking really is the idea behind that. So that'll be out sometime, sometime next year.
0: <laughs> so when, when you were, when you were a teacher, I mean you still are, but when you were yeah. teaching um, every day, was that in the Greater Manchester area, or was it sort of somewhere? No, else? no,
2: no. So I, I live in Leeds. So all the teaching of Lots of different schools. One of them was a co-op school, actually, Frank, uh, in in Leeds. Um, yeah, and I still, well, I, say I still teach. I teach one, sometimes two lessons of Year Eleven English um, a week. But I think that's really important, actually, because you can, yeah. in these trust roles, you can be quite removed from the classroom. So I cling on to that for dear life, really, just that kind of hour or two a week with with kids in the classroom.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about that before, haven't we, Stan? About how important is it for head teachers to, or senior leaders to, mm-hmm. you know, to demonstrate that they can still Keep the attention mm-hmm. and show the interest of uh, of
1: children. I always thought it was funny when I became a head. The the staff assumed I wouldn't be able to teach. <laughs> if I was taking a <laughs> class, they went through things really carefully wouldn't me. If, hang on, I've, I've just done you know, twelve years of teaching. I've, I've, it's only been summer where I've not been teaching. It's but funny yeah. that you don't you, you don't teach.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I remember. Um, uh, the, I I never went, I had the headship of two schools and never appointed the deputy head to either of the schools. And uh, in the second headship, there was an, a brilliant teacher who absolutely loathed assemblies, leading assemblies. And I absolutely loved the assemblies, you know what I mean? And I actually, I always felt as though gradually over time, my, my skill as a teacher was dwindling, you know, so I could see myself becoming sort of more sort of used to the big audience and less skilled at the 30 children whereas she found it the other way around she couldn't she never felt comfortable in front of you know three or four hundred people particularly parents she found that very stressful um but um yeah well well done for keeping it going Sam I mean how you manage it I don't know but anyway well done um but before we before we start though there there was that um tweet that you um issued last week that I they really got a, a, a pretty strong res- positive response. I don't know if you want to just cover that uh, just to make sure that people are aware of it. I'll, I'll put a link to it at the end of the video, but uh, would you like to just explain what your thinking was about it?
2: Yeah, thank you. So it's, um I actually wrote, I wrote it for, I did the keynote speech at the Iris Connect conference last week and they gave me the kind of theme of autonomy to talk about. That was sort of the theme to the day. So um that's what sort of got me thinking about it. I suppose what I was trying to, Um, sort of think on or bring together was maybe how the experience of teachers over the last 15 years in the classroom has changed. My my early years of teaching I talked about were kind of characterised by autonomy really by which I mean planning all my own lessons you know from scratch using various internet sites. I gave an example of a lesson that I um, picked up from uh, I think it was Teach It or Tess the the lemon sherbet lesson that English teachers it was like it's a creative writing lesson you give them all sweets they've got to smell touch you know taste the the wrapper etc and just what a disaster those kind of lessons were because they weren't um, they weren't really about learning they were about tasks and and doing stuff so yeah it was that kind of we've gone from that I think where teachers were virtually left alone to get on. I'm not saying that was all a good thing but there was there was some you know learning from that there was learning even if it's learning from your own mistakes and 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 we've moved towards a system that I think is characterised for a lot of teachers by by structure, um, you know, a lot of kind of, I see a lot of centralised curricula, um, a lot of teach this way, teach these strategies, do it in this manner, um, sort of in the name of consistency. And I suppose, for me, I, you know, I taught for 12 years and I had some time out of the classroom, I mean, and I'm in quite a different role now, but at the end of my 12 years, I think I'd got to the point of, um, you know, that that structure wasn't, working for me so well it felt that um I'd lost any I don't know ability to exercise professional judgment I didn't have you know what, what I would say is agency to, to enact the curriculum or to adapt things to the needs of my classes and yeah you know, I taught English for a long time su- successfully um and a lot of the, the things I've been asked to do just didn't seem to fit well with my subjects um uh and you know particularly in english lots of discussion lots of oracy is really key to how you how you make meaning in, in the subject and co-construct meaning with others and it just seemed to be at odds with that so i was kind of playing with this idea of you know the, the pendulum swing from so much autonomy to so much structure and then in the context of a, a retention crisis for teachers and i've got into um a bit of discussion on twitter with uh, caroline derbyshire who's amazing oh, yeah. and she said she kind of referred to it as a sort of intellectual emptiness that she was seeing that teachers were feeling. And I thought, God, that really resonates. That's exactly mm-hmm. how I felt. A bit robotic. Um, and there's some research around intellectual engagement and motivation for teachers that I sort of pointed to in the thread that, actually if teachers are denied that you know intellectual curiosity or actually I was with Mary Myatt yesterday, name dropping, uh, and she referred to it as intellectual seductiveness, which I thought was Mary. It's if we're stripping away the space and the time and the ability for teachers to think and think deeply and think critically about their subjects, you know, which for secondary teachers in particular is what drives them to come into teaching one of the reasons in the first place. We're taking that away. Um is that, you know, potentially a link? Is that potentially one of the reasons? It's not the only reason, but what why teachers are leaving? And then how can we, what can we do then to to give that back or to try and create more spaces for that? Um yeah. so that, that's what it was about. But
0: well, it's interesting Sam. What, what's going through your head? I, I think I know oh, I, what's going through your head. I, I
1: was just thinking, you know, we, we, I think you're right with with the the pendulum metaphor, I started teaching with the pendulum in the far mm. opposite side from the one you're talking, where if you came in with a good idea on a Monday morning, most classes would take that on. So, <laughs> so if you were teaching in, in year four, you'd find year six and year two doing exactly what you prepared. Um, and that obviously that wasn't good. Uh, but I agree with you that we've gone to a stage now where it, it's an assumption that teaching is a technical um, mm. skill, where you you just have to do A, B, C, and D, and tell tell the pupils A, B, and C and D, and it's done. And anybody who's a good teacher knows it's an art. Mm. It's not it's not a technical science, and and I think we've we're at risk of stripping that away from from teachers completely. And in, in, in that case, as you say, what's the point in me going when I'm not not myself. Yeah.
0: When I'm in the classroom. I think I, I thought you were going to say national literacy strategy, Stan.
1: Well, I don't know a lot about it because we refused to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: well uh, it was the reason I left Headship, um, and, and and in a way, but I, I mean, we uh, forum strategy. Um, who Sam and uh, I sort of met each other through. They they had a conversation which I led with Sir Michael Barber, who was responsible for those strategies. And in that conversation, he spoke very highly about you know the 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 strength of the strategies in terms of improving attainment. Now the thing is is that I can understand you know that if as Stan was saying at that even at that time it was two, well it must have been about nineteen ninety nine or something like that two thousand I, I may be wrong but. But it's about that time anyway, because it was a new Labour initiative. Um, but if there was still, and it was definitely a lack of structure, you know, in the way that mm. mathematics mm-hmm. and literacy were being taught, that provided the strategy. And I think what sadly what happened was um, the inspectorate then went round monitoring whether or not it was being done. And I think that for me was the end of the the end of the line for me. Well,
1: that- they threatened me with that, Frank. Um, they said, we'll have to come in and check. So I said, well, I'll save you some time and some effort. I'll give you the results if you check it. They're not doing it. They're still not doing it. <laughs> <They still laughs> not doing it. There's your first three monitoring visits. Um, because the school had brilliant results in English. Yeah. I'm so really so why would we? And what we did was look at it and took the bits that we thought would enhance what we were doing and threw away things like the clock and which interestingly enough now everybody says that was never a major part of it well
0: it, it was <laughs> that's, that's not true
1: um,
0: but, yeah i mean there is around that uh there's there is a balance to be had here we always in these chats we always end up trying to get find a middle ground but there. Yeah, they can't. It can't be the wild west, but neither should it be so restraining that actually it restricts the very best teachers who feel confident to actually do
1: something slightly different. Um, I think what it's got to do, and I do think the strategies did this, was focus staff on conversations about the subject, so that schools as a whole were going right. Well, what are we doing? How, How is it working? Why does this work better than this? And and those things raised standards without a doubt. I'm absolutely convinced that once you've got staff having professional conversations about areas of the curriculum, you will get progress and you'll you'll get development. Um, but and I suppose the only way you can make sure that happens is to have a statutory instrument. Uh, but I wouldn't agree with with something that that frameworks everybody into the same the same way of teaching
0: now i'm I'm assuming that everybody listening and watching knows what uh, um, the event that you're at what what actually iris connect is you know and, and and when you think about what we're talking about here I think iris connect does enable individual teachers to reflect on their own practice in the safe environment of them knowing that this is just for me I'm just going to look at because this is a a digital camera type thing that follows that you can program it in to follow you mm. around just tell mm. us a little bit more
2: about yeah so that. yeah so so iris connects is um so it's led by andy newell who's the, the founder and um, highly used as the current director of education there and i think um some listeners might remember it as you know in the old days it was basically a camera that was sort of a yeah. Dalit <laughs> that you would kind of roll into the classroom and there was one per school somebody said it was like <laughs>
0: um uh it was like a medical trolley
2: yeah <laughs> yeah um it's you know it's not like that now there's all sorts of cool technology you can get the app on your phone and you know all sorts of things so yeah but I think you're right the kind of premise of it is that that reflective space and I agree with everything you've just said there Stan, about professional conversations and dialogue that's that's the lever for for progress um it's like we do all these things just to try and avoid the need for teachers just to sit down together in groups and actually talk to each other um so yeah Iris creates that space um essentially teachers can video their own lessons they've got ownership they've got agency over how those videos are used and shared so nobody can watch that video unless the teacher sends it to their coach or to whoever they want to look at it Um, and there's loads of stuff it can do you can um you know there's some things it does that you know in busy schools it's not always easy to find the time to meet and give feedback you might have timetable clashes that sort of thing you can you can give live commentary live feedback as, as a coach or a mentor on a, on a lesson you can edit you can um, sort of star thumbnail moments that you want to feedback on they're doing some really cool stuff with AI as well at the moment so we were talking the event I'm, I'm at, I've been at for the last couple of days is really just discussing all things professional development with a but with a particular focus on what that looks like in the future and they were feeding videos of teachers into the AI software and then it was generating you know within seconds this kind of really detailed feedback but we We were talking about the dangers of that, you know, in the wrong hands and with the wrong intent, that could become another problem (laughs) where the pendulum swings again. Um, But, yeah, where it's being used well, we're using it in my trust. We've got um, uh, licences for numbers of staff in in all of our four schools. And next year we're going to get licences for everybody. But where it's being done really well, it's people within those schools leading it really thoughtfully and really carefully and thinking about how it's implemented and understanding that, you know, not all teachers want to film themselves from day one immediately and feel safe sharing what they filmed. So how it all comes back to culture. How do you create the culture where teachers feel safe, they're not going to be judged, um, they're not kind of performing for some mad accountability metric, but it's genuinely about their development and their reflection on their practice and their improvement. And that comes from having leaders that create those spaces and think about it in those ways so where iris is working really well in our schools where it's starting to work quite new to it that kind of stuff is happening it's not just day one everyone's filming off you go
0: yeah that that certainly was the case in the co-op where when i left we had over 20 schools we had that iris connect in all of the schools Um, but in some schools that had had longer with it it was more embedded so I, I don't know where it is now but um yeah I've always felt so that that felt to me a much better way if you could prove that you were taking your professional development seriously it it it, it moves the dial quite significantly for performance reviews in terms of the things you talk about yeah. you know so uh it, it just it just changed it, it It the balance moves towards the teacher or
1: the professional
0: as opposed to the
1: line manager you know it's um, the start. technology, though, Frank, that's made the difference. Because I remember going over to the states to look at, at NQTs, and they had to create, um, they had to video themselves and, and do a reflective piece on it. And I thought this was really good stuff, uh, and said, <laughs> "So, you know, how do you set up a camera and thing?" In those days, yeah. how do you set up a camera in your classroom? And and this NQT in America just said, "Well, the technicians do that." <laughs> yeah, the, the technicians that are in our primary schools that, that, that set up cameras for you. <laughs>
0: hey, Sam, can you, uh, uh, I think we'll go to you first, if that's alright Stan, in terms yeah, of, yeah. I think it probably leads in, I mean, uh, what's caught your eye this week? Because it's sort of, I think from, it sort of, in a way leads from this into what, you know, what's been sort of in your thoughts this week? You're still there, Sam?
2: Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to stand. No, no, stand
0: no, That's me. Sam to... and Sam, Sam are too close. So, so yeah, the thing here is that. No, it's all right. Um, so, yeah, you were mentioning uh, something that you'd uh, read or seen from Liz yeah. Wilson.
2: Yeah, so there was um, a paper that came out this week that was put in front of me by my, my friend Neil Gilbride, who works with Liz, and um, yeah, she's the CEO at Big Education. And there was a paper by her and Joe Halgarten uh, as well. And, um, it's about leadership development and what the future of leadership development looks like. Um, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting. All the things that I've sort of been thinking about this week, that we've been talking at a Forum Strategy about, that I've been thinking about at, at Iris Connect and in my keynote around, around teacher agency and culture and cultures for professional learning. And what, what kind of resonated with me in their paper was this idea of how we create leaders that can create those conditions. Um, and they have a sort of series of, of recommendations um, about how, um, you know, how as a system we can develop leaders that are adaptable. Um, and uh, sort of various ways we might do that um, yeah and that, that really sort of resonated again with the theme at Iris Connects about adaptability you know there's, it's not one way we can get really focused on the how um, how we, what we're doing and how we're doing it and not so much why we're, why doing, we're doing, it, doing it yeah, yes. it. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's a really great paper and some really exciting people thinking about that really deeply and I, I believe she's taken that to the House of Commons this week so I'm looking forward to seeing how that work develops and the programmes and the that come
0: out of that that's brilliant i mean because that links in i'm coming to me now stan because i'm
1: gonna go... right. I just ignore me i, no, just... I,
0: I okay. saw a paper um uh called the marketization of school leadership qualifications mm-hmm. uh, which was published by three academics at manchester university and um i think stan we've spoken a little bit about the danger well this was around the dangers the lack of um flexibility for the individual here this has been a theme has not it really um you have a program everybody's got to follow it and and there's this sense i think that we've felt that some of the national professional qualifications you know they they are to a certain extent and i don't mean this in a sort of political but a bit ideologically driven so and inevitably when you uh, either lead a program or whatever you know, you create a program, and we've had Andy Hodgkinson um, on here who does this. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. He does this for his living, really, creating programs like this in order to to meet requirements for the University uh, UCL in uh, London. So, I, I was talking to him about it, and and there are things where he needs to actually do something because it's in the criteria for getting the award. But then finding a way in which there's flex to enable the individual to give a perspective which perhaps is slightly different to the to the criteria you know and i think that the government's created this national institute of teaching which is made up primarily of of some of the bigger trusts like star harris outward grange you know so not these are in the in my world these are the favored trusts i think is probably the best way to say it. and and there's a real risk about the narrowness of that Experience those people being in charge, and nothing wrong with what they're doing. I'm not critical of that, but it is one way. And and actually, there is a, a, sort of theme among amongst them that actually means it's, I think, a potential weakness. And and the paper that was produced is basically saying that. Um, and uh, the professional agency has been lost a little bit, and that's why I think places like Forum Strategy, and the, the event we saw, uh, yeah. is really helpful. So, I I didn't have any criteria. I was just asked, turn up, talk about this. I did. I didn't know whether it was going to offend anybody or whether it was on message. But actually, that is part of, I find that, the benefit of really strong professional leadership where you have to sit through something which you don't actually agree with. But, you know, I mean, you've then got to unpick, well, why don't I agree with it? You know, so uh, I think there's problems here about restricting the range of providers and all of that.
2: Yeah, I think it speaks to a bigger problem in the system that Liz and Joe pick up in their paper, and um, we've talked about here. And it's around: uh, do we measure what what we value, and when the metrics come to define the performance? So, what one of the problems for me with the way that. Um, the performance of trusts is measured, is that the metrics are defined in some of the ways that you just talked about. So I I um I'm a deputy chair for a, a national group of CPD leaders that I work on with um Tracy Goodyear and Chris Baker. We've got about 170 members in that group, people in similar roles to me who lead professional development across trusts. In fact you must come and speak to us. I'll get you booked in before we uh-huh. <laughs> before we finish. And uh, we were, you know, we talked about this the other day. It's like what 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 models are there in the system for what good quality professional development looks like within Trust? Because at the moment, in the Trust Quality Descriptors, it's measured by the amount of staff that you've got on MPQs. Now that is, and Liz and Joe talk about this in their paper, you know, that's one metric, yeah. um, but you could really go down sort of that rabbit hole. If that's the only metric that you're working towards and you've just pointed to some of the issues, and there are many good things about those programmes. You know, we've got lots of staff on them. Who yes, are getting definitely. lots. Of but if that becomes... If that becomes the definitive end of, of professional development for teachers, then then we've got a, a problem. And if trusts start working towards that as the end goal, um, that's really narrow. <laughs> that's really narrow. So that that's problematic. So yeah, yeah the, the metrics and the performance measures, um, yeah, that that speaks to a, a wider problem. There, there was something this morning actually from um, the Education Policy Institute that's just come out come out about. Whether we, they've created a kind of online tool um, to to look at um, how we measure trust performance sort of in a more rounded way. So how we consider things like inclusion. So so those trusts that are (laughs) favoured, like how inclusive are they? Um, I think, you know, things like it's moving in the right direction, I think, that those kind of conversations are happening. Um, And like with my thread, it's almost like these things feel... Contentious to talk about, you know, giving teachers agency, having an inclusive system, the way trusts behave, you know, to each other, and um, but it feels like it, that conversation is opening up, maybe in a, in a more positive way, where you can say these things now. <laughs>
1: yeah, the risk here, go on, Stan. I've said too I much. say we gave, we we were providers of some of the national programs, and we actually made a, a conscious decision to pull out from that, even though it was it was good in terms of income because of the lack of autonomy our presenters would have given what they had to present. And it, it's it's down to you must say this, you must say that, you must not say this. And, yeah. and we just felt that that's, we, we would lose credibility with, with the teachers if we were running to a script that we didn't 100% believe in. And, of course, my big thing all the time is there's no context to this so if you're in a two-teacher primary school or you're in a, a four-form entry, you're supposed to do the same training and the same understanding, and it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be contextualised in future.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, Stan, what's caught your eye this week? Well, this is a bit different, but it'll lead into the same conversation. I <laughs> um and it's about, it was it actually started by reading the, the grief that Liverpool fans were feeling about the fact that Jurgen Klopp has announced he's leaving in the summer. And I, and I understand that, and I understand it from, you know, the same thing happened at, at United when Salix uh, Ferguson announced his, and there was a dip in form, and, and everybody, and United, you could argue, have still not managed to, mm-hmm. to, to plug that gap. Um and Liverpool I think now will be scraping round trying to find somebody who can can take over, take the lead from that. But it will change the culture of the club. And and, you know, I, I thought then, well, what about in schools when, when I had teacher goals or a made leader goals out of a school, the the culture must change and the stress on the staff must be Quite significant, I have to say. When I left Headship, I didn't consider whether I was causing stress to to all my staff. It was a um, not so much a selfish move as a move part of my career, but also because I felt as though I'd done everything I could do in in that school, and the holes that were still there were for somebody else to uh, to sort out. Uh, but then I looked at how many head teachers are leaving, uh, and it's a phenomenal amount. 1,709 in September 23. So in, when they looked at the figures in October, which would obviously be the time for people's uh, resignation, it's 14% higher than it was pre-COVID. Mm. So that's that's a significant increase. And some figures in 2122, in 22 um, 1,615 left for reasons other than retirement or death. Mm. Um So people are going... And of those, over half left education completely. Now, we can't replace at that rate. No.
0: Uh,
1: And, well, let's be fair, we can't replace with the quality. Um, And and I know when I was um, an advisor in Lancashire, one of my big fears for smaller schools was internal promotion because nobody else applied for the job and, and people... Put themselves forward for the job because of their love of the school and, and for all the wrong reasons in a way and I suspect that's what it's like at the moment generally the people who wouldn't necessarily have applied for the job yet are applying for it early because the, the job's there and nobody's filling it uh, and I, I wonder then about the culture of organisations are, are we going to change culture are we going to get people to think differently
0: i i, I, I this this what? is uh, i've got a conversation next week with um a colleague a researcher in Stavanger and uh, her phd is looking at how you successfully transition from one ceo to another and so there's confidential discussions between me the new ceo the chair of the board um a trust board member um and, it, and in a way be, i i actually think that there was what what kept the culture the same it was never it, it was never going to be no, similar probably not the word the same but was actually um that trust board the chair of the trust board you know actually they they knew what the culture was they knew what the principles and values of that organization were because it was bigger than the co-op academy's trust it was the co-op and he was a co-op employee so there was that sort of, I think this is why it's quite an interesting discussion, because there is a sort of like a a body that's actually like like a, a you know, in a way we were a moon rotating around the earth, you know, so we we were always never able to just fly off. You know, we were always focusing in on the earth. The earth was much bigger than us. And and as such, you know, the new person I think always felt as though that like me, there were things I wanted to do differently, but actually I couldn't. You know, and, and in a way that was part of the deal you know that, that because they were the two things had to be inextricably linked uh, both in the way that they were but also the culture that they had now that's i think quite an unusual position you know because a lot of organisations can say we've got a new ceo we're flying off in a different direction now and then there's that dissing isn't there of what the, the the former person did you know the person before me did you know as a the, that's the mechanism to trigger the shift you know and i think that's really disrespectful
1: of, of that person. Yeah. I, I, when we were pointing heads, uh, quite often the, the, the key question was, tell us about your vision for the school. <laughs> and I tried to turn that round to say, no, what you should be saying is the governors have a vision for this school. How are you going to contribute to it and improve it and develop it? Yes. Not, you know, every time you change head, you completely change where the school is, what its culture is, how people work.
0: Now we'd argue that some of the trusts that we've been talking about—I tell you now—they do have a very clear culture. Mm. Some of those big trusts do, you know. Whether whether we'd—I—I I probably wouldn't choose to go and work for them, but actually, I—I I, I know from seeing it, actually visiting some of them, but also from uh, hearing what others have said who have worked for them. But you know, there is a very clear culture in some of those. I don't mm-hmm. think if the CEO in some of those trusts was to disappear. There would be a rapid retreat into something else, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to ask the question: What's the culture like in your trust? But Sam, but that's a really, really tricky question to ask. But you know, but do you feel, you know, if you were to go, let's take it on a personal. If you were to go, um, and somebody else came in, you know, would would it be the same? Would it would it would it still be the same thread running through it, even though it's being led by somebody differently?
2: um i think we're a pretty new trust so we we're, we're 18 months in um and we we've, we've got four schools so i think i absolutely would not say our culture <laughs> is evident transparent it's not defined what embedded. i would say it is not embedded it's not it's not even defined yeah. yet we're we're in that process of you know asking ourselves those questions what kind of culture do do we want and this this way for me, it's really important to be outward looking. So I'm spending a lot of time talking to other trusts. I get a lot from this, you know, this network of CPD leads that that I'm part of, I go and visit other trusts, things like forum strategy are really, really important to me, because just for my lens on what what the landscape is, I'm really aware, I think my CEO is also aware, and our central team are aware of the kind of trust we want to be. And we've taken great inspiration from um a couple of trusts in, in yorkshire near to us that are doing really good work around culture and around people we've done some work with um a couple of ceos who have got that culture really well embedded and have, have been really professionally generous and and yeah. shared things, offered us things to do that so um yeah we're, we're absolutely not there yet i think for me though and we had a visitor into my trust the other week and she came to a couple of our schools and spoke to staff across three of our four schools and she fed back to me afterwards she said I've just had the best day she said every school that I went to every I spoke to was just so warm and welcoming and generous and so reflective and so willing to speak to me she's a literacy specialist and I want, wanted to have those conversations and we've swapped numbers and we swapped emails and I met with my CEO last week and I said isn't that amazing when somebody comes in that's the barometer for culture yeah. that 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 a visitor feels like that and gives that kind of feedback across our schools. so for me i i don't see our role me our ceo anyone on our central team the role is not to say we've decided the culture is no. x therefore everybody no. has to behave like this we are Clearly, there are some things that are working brilliantly and make our schools really lovely, special places. So for me, it's about cap- capturing that. What is going on that's brilliant? Kind of, I don't use the word codified, but sort of defining that in some way. So what is it? What are those kind of principles of and, and competencies and behaviours of the staff that we've got where that's working? And how can we capture that? And how can we get more staff like that? And really importantly, how can we keep those staff? um so culture I don't think is a thing that you just impose (laughs) so much of it is is there but obviously as a trust we've got to have a trust culture as much as we've got to let the schools maintain and develop their own individual cultures in their context as well and that's that's a a tricky thing to do because you don't want to take anything away unless it's bad and not working (laughs) so it comes back to that balance doesn't it again we started off talking about structure Versus autonomy, and that I guess that's they're the discussions we're having at at the moment. But um, we did have a a trust come in to speak with us and do some leadership work with us just before Christmas, and he said the point at which their trust turned a corner was when they decided that the identity of the trust was more important than the schools. And I saw some of my a couple of my heads go, (gasps) but but actually when we discussed it afterwards and thought on it, it was that is really important because their recruitment and retention figures book the national trend mm. you know, they're keeping people because people want to go and work for that trust because they see the culture is something they want to be part of so that's our sort of aspiration we're clear that's the sort of trust we want to be we want to focus on people on staff on developing great people and it's just about my role now is is enabling that through the way that i think about curriculum and professional development and um, and building expertise a- across our schools. so yeah long answer to your question i know no, <laughs> no, that's
0: great <laughs> well, yeah. And I, you avoided. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was a, it was a crass question, so what, I apologize.
1: What I, what I think is, I remember um, a, a senior person from a, a professional football club asking me, "How how we want to use the We want to see the same culture that's in your school in our club. How do we do that?" <laughs> <laughs> but I would also say. Um, a conversation with uh, Mike Rotherham, Dr yeah. Mike Rotherham, might be very interesting for you because he, he's he got a lot of work he did with the uh, England women's cricket team on developing a culture and having joint values and, and things that we will do, things that we won't do. Uh, and it, it's a really interesting conversation, even if it doesn't make massive changes to the school. Yeah. Yeah. It, it strikes me as a way of... Not so establishing a new culture, but establishing that a new culture will develop. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, we are changing and these are the things that we are going to do. And these are the things that we're not going to do as a group, not not somebody dictating it. But as the group, what do we think? Well, I'm going to stop it there because we're nearly getting to 40 minutes. <laughs> Unbelievable,
0: isn't it? Unbelievable. And we normally last thirty so it's been a great chat sam thank you very much uh and I think okay. the, the, the phrase you know, professional generosity is something that you've referenced quite a few times today and I think that's probably been a theme um for many of our guests who basically are not arrogant they're not one they don't have a set way of doing it you know they they just want to open up and and explain their position so I think you've done that very well today Sam so thank you for joining us. Yeah and uh yeah i think i think we're back next week are we stan i think we are yes
1: we are yes we're back next week i told you many times it's the weekend as tomorrow yesterday and today and nothing beyond those i have no idea next week we are
0: back but the week after we're not we have our half term break then so anyway thank you for joining us and uh thank you sam again and we'll see you all next week bye-bye thank you Bye. bye